Kia ora everybody, I'm Jordan, host of the Kiwi Birth Tales podcast. It's my hope that you find support and comfort in these stories and I'm really looking forward to bringing you today's episode. Just a reminder before we get started that these are personal experiences and you should always seek medical advice before making any important decisions. I'm not an advocate for any particular model of birth or birth care and this is simply a platform to share these empowering Kiwi birth tales with you all. In this week's episode of Kiwi Birth Tales, I speak with Danica and she takes us through her pregnancy and birth story. Danica's story starts with an unfortunate molar pregnancy, which I had no idea what that was until this birth story. So if you are in a position where you've just had one or you want to find out a little bit more about it, then this is a great episode for you. So she takes us through that really unfortunate molar pregnancy and how they dealt with that, I guess, dealing with the loss and how they were feeling post that, how they were feeling when they wanted to try for a baby again. When they eventually fell pregnant again, Danica talks us through their decision to plan for a home birth and how they landed at that, what sort of plans they had in place, and then eventually through a hospital transfer where they needed to be helped along to bring Bodhi into the world. Danica takes us through that experience, obviously being transferred from home to hospital. Uh, She had a few interventions while they were there and how she felt about her birth postpartum. Danica contributes her mainly positive feelings about her birth to her amazing midwife and she talks us through why she wrote a letter to the hospital afterwards, um, giving them some information about things that she would have liked to have been done differently while she was there. Danica then takes us through how she was feeling mentally postpartum and her recovery physically as well, which has taken a bit longer than she thought it would. She's working with a pelvic floor physio, which she's found super helpful, so she talks us through that as well. I just think this is a really great episode, and I'm really looking forward to you hearing it, so I will let you jump into it now. Hi, Danica. Thanks so much for joining me on the podcast today. Hi, Jordan. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Would you like to tell the listeners a little bit about you and who's in your family? Yeah, sure. Um, My name's Danica and I'm 29 and I live in Christchurch. We just moved back here about a month ago. We were living um, up in the Wellington area and in my family I've got my fiancé Sam and we've got little Bodie who's nine weeks old and our wee black and white cat Luna, who's just as much part of the family. So <laughs> Yeah, awesome. Cool. I love the name Bodie. It's such a nice name. Oh, thank you. Yeah, we loved it too. It was like the only yeah. boy name we could agree on. <laughs> yeah, it's so hard, isn't it? It is, it is cool. so hard. Yeah, awesome. And do you want to talk us through um, what the journey to pregnancy was like for you guys? Yeah, sure. So I... Well, I feel like my journey to pregnancy started when I was like 18 or 19 because I was diagnosed with um, PCOS, so um, polycystic ovarian syndrome, when I was 18. And then a year later um, was diagnosed with endometriosis as well. So had the surgery for that. And um, you kind of get bombarded with all this information about, you know, it might be difficult to fall pregnant when you want to do that one day and... Um, so that it was sort of on my mind from then and I've sort of been one of those people who've I've always wanted to be a mum that's just been one thing that I've always been really sure about so I um, right from then and hearing all that information it was something I was thinking about mm-hmm. um, so initially went on the pill um, 
I can't remember which one now, but one of the ones that they recommend for PCOS um, as sort of an original treatment and just found that it wasn't really working for me after sort of four or five years. Um, again, like I said, I knew I wanted to have kids, so I sort of ended up coming off that and um, my best friend was training to be a medical herbalist at the time. Oh, yeah. So I training under her dad so um I went ended up going to her dad's clinic and ended up treating the endometriosis and the polycystic ovarian syndrome using a bunch of medicinal herbs and diet and lifestyle changes and it took a it took a while like probably took about a year um for me to get regular cycles again and my symptoms to really decrease and but since then and continuing that lifestyle it's um like I feel like my my life changed because mm. my symptoms went away and like I said I had regular cycles again um and then I met Sam a few years back now and <laughs> we at the beginning of 2019 we sort of decided that we didn't we weren't active sort of actively trying mm. but we just thought oh we'll stop not trying yeah <laughs> see and see what happens yeah and um literally a month later found out I was pregnant which was quite a shock because I don't think we were expecting it to yeah. happen that soon especially with um the PCOS and the endo and all of that kind of thing but we were obviously really excited um so we found a midwife and um we decided not to get an early scan only because I had quite accurate dates for my last period and um, just with some of the risks that can happen early on, we just mm-hmm. decided that we'd wait till the 12-week scan. Everything sort of seemed hap- seemed healthy and I seemed healthy, did um, blood test results to confirm um, the pregnancy and we were quite open about that pregnancy. Like we told our friends and family um pretty early on um and then I must have been about 10 weeks and woke up in the middle of the night with lots and lots of bleeding um so we called our midwife and she said yeah go into the hospital so we went into the hospital and um had some scans and some tests done and I kind of had in my head that it was a miscarriage um but when we had the scan the um ultrasound technician I, I, can't, I don't know what their official name is. Um, she said that there, there was no sign of a baby being there, but that um, had anyone told me that my HCG levels were really high um, from the blood test that they took the previous night at the hospital. And I sort of said, oh, no. And she said, oh, I'll, I'll pass you over to a doctor, but it looks to me like it could be something called a molar pregnancy, which isn't very common, Um but with the high levels of HCG and I think they could pick up in the ultrasound that like the uterus lining was really thick. So there was like a lot of extra tissue in there. Um, Yeah. So she said it could be, could be this thing called a molar pregnancy, which I'd never heard of. Mm. Um, And so we went and spoke to a doctor an hour or so later after they looked at everything and they confirmed that it did look like a molar pregnancy, which isn't, a viable pregnancy basically what it is because I had no idea <laughs> um, mm. is when the sperm fertilizes the egg like a random genetic mutation occurs and there's two types so there's a partial 
um, molar pregnancy, which is when there's some normal um, fetal cells that grow, and then there's a complete molar pregnancy, which is what I ended up having, where no normal cells grow, and it basically it's just all this tissue grows and it can grow into a non-cancerous tumor. No. Um, but because it's producing this HCG hormone, um, you produce a pre- positive pregnancy test mm. and the high HCG levels often mean that you feel quite sick, which kind of aligns with a normal pregnancy yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, that was all quite a shock. I think it happens to like one in 1,000 or something. Yeah. Um, so it's very, very rare and just a completely random thing that happens. Um, so I was booked in for a um, DNC a few a few days later, and so I had that surgery, and then they have quite a strict follow-up process with it. So I had to have um, blood tests every week until my HCG levels went down to zero, um, and so that took a while. That took like a couple of months. So having them every week for a couple of months, and then they continue to check them monthly mm-hmm. after that. So in that time, um, there they advise you like don't get pregnant in that time. Um, and yeah, it was. I found it really hard because it was one of those things I think where it doesn't happen that often. Yeah. So th- there's not that much information about it, and. Yeah. Um, I found that really hard because once the HCG levels were back down to zero, it was like, well, why can't we start trying for a baby mm. now? And um, they, they're they just obviously really careful because they don't want, um, they don't want there to be leftover residual tissue from sure. the molar yeah. left that can, that can regrow into this non-cancerous tumor. Um, so that, I think that was, really hard um and then obviously the regular blood tests just reminding you all the time of what had happened when you're just sort of trying to move on um but after our year was up we sort of actively started trying again um and it took about three months in March last year just before lockdown actually um just before we went into level four lockdown we found out we were pregnant again so we got there in the end. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And how did you feel, um, I guess, getting that second pregnancy, um, positive pregnancy test? And I can just only imagine the sort of mixed emotions that you must have had. So do you want to talk oh, us yeah, through, I guess, was... the initial stage of finding out you're pregnant and how you were feeling? Yeah, it was It was definitely, definitely mixed emotions. Yeah. It was, it kind of happened at the point um because sort of for the first month it was like really actively trying tracking yeah. the cycle and then it didn't happen and it was disappointing and so it was all this sort of healing that was happening and yeah. and it was actually at the point where I was sort of just surrendered it I guess I was like this will just happen when it's going to yeah. happen and just sort of let it go didn't track anything that month didn't didn't think about it yeah. as much and then yeah so I think I can't remember but we were going somewhere and I think we were going to have a few drinks and I sort of thought, oh, I'm a couple of days late. Like I'll just do a test because mm-hmm. I don't want to go out drinking um, just in case. So I'd sort of, I woke up in the morning and did a test and then there were two lines and they were so dark and <laughs> positive And I was like, oh my God. Um, and so I went in to tell Sam 
And I was like, I don't think I'll be drinking tonight. And he sort of looked at me like, what? And I was like, I just took a test and he's positive. And he was like, no way. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we were over the moon. But I think we kind of stopped ourselves from getting too excited yeah. just knowing what had happened last time. Um, so I made an appointment to see a doctor, um, my GP, and he sent me for a blood test. And then that came back um, all normal and was tracking along nicely. And then so he suggested we do an early scan um, just to check things, especially having had the molar last time. Um, but we were really lucky because I was able to get in with the midwife that we had for the molar pregnancy yeah. um and she she was just amazing and so supportive so I feel so lucky that we were able to get her again um and yeah so we went in for an, the scan at about eight weeks um so it was sort of level four lockdown um at that time so only I could go in for the scan and Sam couldn't come with me which was I think that was really hard mm. I remember being so nervous for that um and actually all through the pregnancy whenever I had a scan I'd get quite anxious I think just from the previous one that's how we found out yeah. so it was sort of always in the back of my mind um and then that scan showed a tiny little bean shaped thing and a mm -hmm. wee heartbeat and everything was looking good and it, it, that was such a relief I think after that scan I was definitely still um anxious and nervous throughout the first trimester but that first scan was such a relief and then we sort of told our close friends and family after we had that that scan but um kept it pretty quiet in comparison to the last last time where we t told a lot of our friends and family um but yeah I think having level four like being in lockdown was so nice because yeah. could just be at home and rest and I was feeling pretty crap so <laughs> yeah. it was nice to just able to be in bed and just to rest and just to sort of um just take our time to um enjoy it as much yeah. as we could I guess yeah 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 nice and how were you feeling um I guess pregnancy symptoms wise did you have any morning sickness or any other symptoms that came in your first trimester yeah so I had um I was had that all day sickness where you just feel mm. hungover all day I never <laughs> yeah. actually vomited but I remember thinking oh I wish I could vomit because I feel like I would yes. feel a lot better yeah. If, I, <laughs> yeah, if I actually vomited but I couldn't um but that sort of lasted till about maybe I think like 13 weeks um so it wasn't too too bad I remember entering the second trimester and feeling so much better um but yeah other than sort of the morning sickness feeling and feeling quite tired like that was sort of the main the main sort of symptoms really and then yeah. um for me it was actually quite reassuring the sickness because it just mm. sort of reassured me like okay you know everything's everything's going as it should it's um that so that was quite nice in that sense I guess yeah yeah cool and what was the rest of your pregnancy like from there did you do all the sort of standard testing that's offered in New Zealand and did you find out the sex of your baby no, we didn't find out the sex. We decided <laughs> well to keep it a surprise. I, yeah, it was it was funny. I was so adamant that I wanted it to be a surprise. But then yeah. whenever we were in a scan, um, and I knew that the ultrasound person knew, I just really wanted to know. Yeah. I think it was that thing of like, they could tell me right now yeah. if, if they wanted to, but stay strong. 
um, and we didn't find out. Um, and yeah, we did the 20 week scan. I didn't do the gestational diabetes um, screening in the end, just with the yeah. polycystic ovarian syndrome. I'd been um, sort of following quite a low sugar, pretty mm-hmm. healthy diet throughout. And um, yeah, after talking to my midwife and other ways that she was able to monitor it and um, sort of keep an eye on sugar levels and all that kind of thing I just decided not to um not to do that screening yeah um but yeah all the standard blood tests and yeah we had the 20 week scan and then we had a scan again at 28 weeks because I hadn't felt much movement for a few days yeah um so we went into the hospital and did the CTG and they checked the scan and that was all fine and then we had another scan quite close to the end and I think about 37 weeks um, just because he was a real wriggler mm. um, and he was in a funny position and my midwife couldn't figure out whether he was head down or bum down or what he was doing. So we had a scan just to check, but he was all in all in the right position, which was good. Yeah. Um, but yeah, other than that, the rest of the pregnancy was really smooth. We were really lucky. It was pretty much like, well, not pregnancy can't really be super <laughs> textbook, I guess, but it was like as textbook as they come. Yeah. Which was um, which was nice, yeah. Given what we'd been through previously, yeah, for sure. Awesome, cool. And did you do any antenatal classes or birth education or anything like that? Yeah, we did. Um, we did a hypnobirthing um, course, which I found really beneficial. Um, I can't remember who that was through. A positive Birth Company, I think. Yeah. And then um, we did antenatal classes, which was awesome. Um, they were quite holistic ones. They were run by a doula, which was really nice. Um, just offered some different perspectives. Yeah. And we had a really small group, but a really close, tight knit group. Like we've all got a, um, we've got like a WhatsApp chat that we, that we're always on, keeping in <laughs> touch. Even though they're in Wellington and we're in Christchurch now, which yeah. is nice, just to have people who've been through the same thing. Yeah. I think a lot of the stuff that we talked about at the antenatal was stuff that we knew or were aware of, but. Um, it was really nice just to make those connections with other people going through similar thing at a similar time. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Cool. And did you have many thoughts on a birth plan or sort of how you might want your birth to play out? Yeah, we did. We, um, we were hoping for a home birth. Um, there was a really nice birthing unit not far from where, um, we lived in Wellington. Um, so that was an option and we went and looked at it. Um, but then the more we, thought about it we watched a lot of um birth vlogs on youtube and i listened to your podcast heaps and um yeah just sort of surrounded ourselves with a lot of home birth stories we decided that we'll just give would give that a go we had a beautiful place that we were renting up there that was in the bush and um yeah we just thought we'll give it a go we were pretty open to if we needed to go to the hospital or if at the time, once I was in labour, I decided I'd rather be at the birthing unit. We could go there. Um, but we just thought, well, we'll give the home birth a go and and see see how it goes, basically. And our midwife yeah. was really supportive. Um, she's, you know, she sort of said, if you decide when you're in labour that, that you want to go to the birthing unit or to the hospital, then we can go there. It's, it's no biggie. So, yeah. um, so that was really nice. So we didn't have a full-on plan as such, but we sort of had in our heads that we'd try for a home birth and and just see how it went basically yeah. we were pretty relaxed about it yeah 
Awesome. Cool. And did you do much in preparation for birth, like antenatal expressing or perineal massage, any of the things that Google will tell you you can do before, <laughs> yeah. before yeah, your I think birth? Yeah, I, I think I tried most stuff, to be honest. I did the perineal yeah. massage, but I yeah. was shocking at remembering to do it. So I don't know if it actually really made a difference. Like, <laughs> you know, they say 10 minutes every day or whatever, and I'd go three days and be like, oh, crap, I haven't done that. Yeah. Um, so I wasn't doing that super regularly, but I gave that a go and tried a little bit of antenatal expressing, but, um, I wasn't able to get much colostrum or anything, um, yeah. when I tried that, which was weird cause my boobs would leak yeah. like constantly from about yeah. 28 weeks. But then when I was actually trying to express, not much came out, yeah. um, but yeah, so I tried those two. But other than that, I was just sort of doing um, pregnancy yoga most days and um, going for lots of walks yeah. and a um, bit of meditation as well and nice. trying to incorporate those hypno-breathing, uh, hypnobirthing breathing techniques and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, that was sort of the main, the main thing I focused on. Yeah. And yeah, read quite a few books like... Um, I read Ina May's Guide to Childbirth, which yep. is amazing. Um, that was one of the books that sort of made me um, really decide on a home birth, and that would give that a go. And I read the, I think it's called The Fourth Trimester. I'm not sure who that's by, mm -hmm. though. Those were two really, really good books. Um, but I definitely got, a, got to a point with the books where it was like, okay, I just need to close these now. Like, you kind of can... T soak in too much information I think yeah. sometimes yeah and your brain just feels like it's about to explode so it was like okay now I'm just going to close these now and just let whatever happens happen yeah <laughs> yeah cool awesome and do you want to take us through um the start of your labor so was it spontaneous and how far along were you yeah sure so I was about f I was not far past my due date actually so I was due on the Saturday and then at 3 a.m. on the Monday, my waters broke, um, and so we sort of, I woke up and I said to Sam, I said, I'm pretty sure my waters are <laughs> broken, or I've peed myself, I'm not, I'm not sure which, yeah. but no, we were pretty sure it was the waters that had broken, and so we lay back in bed and like tried to go back to sleep, because that's what everyone tells you to do, but um, yeah. we were too excited, we, I don't think we slept, Um and then, so we called the midwife in the morning just to let her know. And she said, awesome, just um, keep her in the loop. Um, we called my mum because my mum was flying from Christchurch to be there for the birth. So she yeah. um, so she got a, jumped on a flight that morning. And I sort of, not long after my waters broke, I sort of started having early um, contractions. So they were probably like 10 minutes apart, but they weren't very painful. It's just sort of like bad period cramps mm -hmm. um and that sort of lasted all day and all the following night and then um my midwife called in the morning and um just sort of said you know how are you going and we sort of said oh it's still just those early labor um contractions sort of coming every 10 every 10 minutes not super painful and she said okay well it's been 24 hours since your waters have broken so can you come into hospital? We'll do a CTG. We'll just check that everything's okay. Baby's okay. You're okay. And can go over some options with you and, um, and that sort of thing. So we went in and everything was fine. Bodhi's heart rate was perfect and I was feeling fine. So 
she just sort of talked about our options. She said, you know, we can, um, you can go home if you want, if you want to stay here in the hospital and um, we can um, do, um, is it Syntocin? Yep. One of the um, drugs to help things along. Um, or um, we can start you on antibiotics because your waters have broken or we can, um, or I can take a drip to home and you can go on antibiotics at home or if you want you can just go home and if nothing's nothing's started by tomorrow morning so that would have been Wednesday morning um then we can sort of re reevaluate then and and see what you want to do so we decided to go home um after hearing that baby was fine and I was feeling fine we thought no we'll just go home and see if things get underway by themselves which they did about 1 p.m. Tuesday afternoon. I started getting quite strong, like a lot stronger contractions. They were sort of coming every three minutes and lasting a minute and were quite painful. Um, and they took a couple of hours to sort of get into a regular pattern. Um, but by about 4 p.m. in the afternoon, they were sort of every two, three minutes on the dot, really strong. Um really painful so we called the midwife and she said that's great just give her a call when I sort of can't handle it anymore and, and need an extra support person there um so yeah we just um just stayed at home and I mainly shut myself in the bedroom to be honest um Sam and my mum were there but I went really like um really internal like just wanted my own space to be in the darkness, they would come in and check on me and offer me water. Um, I was using all the breathing techniques, and even though it was so painful and really hard, I don't know if it was just being at home in my own environment or what, but I, I did feel really sort of in control of it. Yeah. Um, and I felt like things were really just progressing. So we, I was just sort of taking each contraction as it came. And then it was about 11 o'clock on the Tuesday night. So at this point, my waters had broken like 50-something hours ago. Um, so it had felt like quite a long a long journey. We called the midwife um, at 11, and she came, um, and they got the pool all set up, and um, I hopped in the pool and um, went I went through what appeared to be transition. I was sort of dry reaching, trying to vomit. I remember crying, being like, I can't do it. I can't do it. And I'm like, yes, you can. Yes, you can. The midwife called the second, our second midwife, and um, and she arrived. And I got that overwhelming urge to push that everyone talks about. Um, it's not even an urge. It was like my body was sort of doing it without me having any control yeah. over it. And so... That was in the pool probably about 2, 2 a.m. on the Wednesday. So it had been sort of 42 days basically now. And um, and after about 45 minutes or an hour, my midwife just sort of asked if she could do an internal examination just to check that things were sort of progressing. Um, we hadn't done one earlier just because my waters had broken and um, obviously internal exams and stuff will increase your risk of infection once your waters have broken. Mm -hmm. um, 
but at that stage I was sort of ready for it I was just like yeah let's just see what's what's happening here um and so she did the exam and I think I was about eight centimeters but there was a big bulging bag of waters still yeah and I just remember feeling so defeated when she when she told me that um it had been so long like it had felt like yeah. so long since my waters had well it was actually my hind waters that had broken apparently there's two bags of waters which I had no idea about <laughs> um so that was another thing I learned on the, on the journey um so it was like the hind waters that had broken and um Bodhi was still in his sack of waters just happily floating away in there um so we got out of the pool and we sort of tried a few things some different positions and stuff at home but I think I'd mentally checked out at that point like I hadn't really eaten since the active labour had started. Um, I had no energy left, and yeah, I just I just felt defeated. And so after an hour, she did another check, and I'd actually gone back to like five or six centimetres. Um, so baby had sort of gone back up, and um, I think a lot of that too was my mental state had completely changed. Yeah. Um, and so she said, okay, so she gave us a few options. She said, you know, we can just keep trying at home. I can break your waters here at home or we can go into the hospital. And then she left me and Sam to um, to talk about it. And I just was like, I can't do it anymore. I, I, all my muscles were so tense and I was, I was just exhausted. So we decided to go into the hospital yep. from there. Um, so we went in. It's about a 20 minute drive and that just felt like the worst drive <laughs> of my life. Yeah. <laughs> I just remember being in the back seat screaming, um, which was very different to my calm breathing I was doing at home. <laughs> um, and yeah, we got to the hospital um, and decided to get an epidural, um, which felt like it took forever to come, but I got there in the end. And then um, they had the team of doctors come in and they broke my waters and yeah and then it was just sort of a waiting game waiting for um waiting to dilate um for my cervix to dilate back to 10 so we could start the pushing again yeah um but probably about an hour or two after I had the epidural it actually wore off on one side of my body Mm. so as if all the um other stuff wasn't enough um so I was getting really like the full-on contractions on one side of my body and the other side of my body was completely numb and I was like pressing the button, trying being like, why isn't this working? And just one side of my body was just going completely dead mm. while the other side was still um, having having those really intense contractions. Um, so they tried a few things and got me to lay on my side to try and get the um, epidural to, I don't know, to, to go down to the side that it wasn't reaching, I guess. And um, that didn't work. And I remember the anaesthetist had said, you know, like it's, it can happen. It's not an uncommon thing to happen. It's just unfortunate. Um, and it did feel very unfortunate at that time. I was like, I just need a break. Um, so they came back in and rejigged the epidural and got it working. Um, and then we, yeah, we, it was just a bit of a waiting game. And then at about 5 p.m., they checked me and I was at 10 centimetres. Um, so they waited for him. I think they call it like passive descent or something for mm-hmm. for an hour. And then we could start pushing. So started pushing um, 
and I just remember at that stage I actually quite liked the pushing because it was like right I can do something now like let's get the baby here yeah um and I, I think I pushed for close to two hours and um they could see his head I remember them saying oh my gosh the baby's got so much hair I was like does it have hair <laughs> and they were like yeah so much hair um but I just couldn't quite get him all the way uh, th- like around the tailbone yeah um and I yeah I was just I think it was just a, a pure exhaustion really so the midwives um talked to us and decided to get the doctors in um to check things and to um give us a hand of get, getting him out um again his heart rate would just stayed perfect like the whole time he was really happy in there he was not doing his 50 percent <laughs> into the world he was like i might just stay here it's quite nice um and so the doctors came in and she the senior doctor decided um that she'd try a forceps delivery but she wanted to go to theater just in case um ended up needing an emergency caesar or anything like that so then all of a sudden there's like 20 people in the room people rushing us around sam's getting in scrubs prepping us for um going to theater signing consent forms and we're just about to go and then a consultant comes in to the room and looks and she goes no no we're having this baby here like it's right there we're going to have this baby here cancel theater um so we're just sort of like what is going on and by this point I was like someone please get this mm. baby out because <laughs> I have I have had enough um and so I did a few more pushes with her I think with because the baby was so close she thought that he would um would be able to get him out but but yeah I'd done done my share of pushing I I was done um and I just didn't have enough strength unfortunately and so they then decided that they'd do the forceps there. Um, so, yeah, it ended up being an episiotomy and forceps delivery. Yeah. Um, but luckily, because he was so close, it wasn't um, – it went really smoothly. They more just sort of guided him out yeah. more than anything. And he came out pink and absolutely screaming the place down, which was <laughs> a huge, huge relief. Yeah, yeah. And so did they pop him straight up onto your chest after that? Yeah, it was really awesome. Our midwife was, she I've said a few times, but I don't think I can say it enough. She was honestly amazing. Like, um, she kicked so many of the people out of the room that didn't need to be there. Mm. She made the pediatrician wait at the, <laughs> wait at the door. <laughs> she said, I'll get you if I need you. Um, so she had everyone who sh- didn't need to be there out. And she, I remember she held, Bodhi up to him um to the pediatrician she said he's pink and he's screaming you can go now yeah <laughs> the pediatrician was like oh, okay um and she brought him over and she put him on my chest and um I remember she she was just standing there mm. and I was crying and I was like is he okay is he okay why are you standing why are you standing here <laughs> and she just said I'm just standing here so no one takes your baby if you know if I go someone's going to want to come and do a te- do tests on him or mm. check things and he's fine like I've checked him he's pink he's screaming he's healthy and he's fine like the best place for him to be is right here with you yeah um, so she stood there for probably half an hour an hour <laughs> just making sure that no one took him off me for that time which was which was so so amazing that yeah. things like that made even though it was like a crazy um bit of a crazy delivery yeah it, like it made it positive for us yeah 
um, and she got Sam to cut the cord and things like that. So, um, so yeah, that was that was really nice. And yeah, he just pretty much screamed for an hour while <laughs> they they were stitching me up and stuff. And um, pretty much until he got on the boob, he was just screaming the place down. So um, yeah, he was. That was that was really lucky. I Sam said afterwards the whole time he during the forceps he was just like please cry please cry please cry mm. and yeah he definitely cried. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah cool. And how long did you end up spending in hospital? So we ended up spending I think it was sort of two nights and three days um, because I needed an iron transfusion. Um, but for some reason, my, my levels were sort of right on the cusp of mm-hmm. either having the transfusion or being given just like a prescription um, to take home. And so in the end, they decided to um, to give me the transfusion. Um, and, yeah, just with the recovery and everything, yeah, it ended up being sort of two nights and three days. And yeah. I just remember we were so ready to go home. Yeah. Um, like I get quite anxious in hospitals as it is, which was one of the reasons why we originally decided to go for a home birth. Mm. Um, and I just felt like I couldn't get any rest, you know, people coming in and out of the room and everyone's telling you, oh, just rest, just rest. And it's like, it's, imp- it's impossible. Mm. People coming in, turning on the light, changing drips and all of that kind of stuff. But um, yeah, when they came in and said, um, you know, you can go home. It was like, I think I just about jumped out of bed like that minute. It was yeah. like, right, <laughs> right, I'm out of here. Um, yeah. yeah, but yeah, it was so nice to get home when we finally did. Yeah, awesome. And how did you find that transition? Obviously, going home and you've got your newborn baby that you've been waiting for. And how did you find those first yeah, couple was, of weeks? Did you oh, notice? Crazy. Yeah, did you notice like, any postpartum sort of blues or um yeah how did you find that yeah I I don't know I sort of had that sort of that day three or four where you're just sort of crying Mm. um (laughs) and you don't know why um like I remember looking at him and thinking oh my god he's so beautiful and then thinking about him being a teenager and being too cool to hug (laughs) me and like crying my eyes out like that sort of thing but um for me I was really lucky like the the whole being a mum thing came so naturally he was a great feeder he latched on really well and all of that um came really naturally but it was more the um the physical recovery I think that gave yeah. me such a shock and like I don't know I like was probably like so naive but I just didn't expect it to be as rough as it was and I remember the day after um giving birth and went to the I'd gone to the toilet and I came out to mum and I was like my organs are falling out of my mum and she was like no they're not I was like yes there are they are there's big lumps and she's like they're just they'll probably just be hemorrhoids and I was like what what's that you know I had like no idea like (laughs) I said maybe I was completely naive but they were just hemorrhoids um that ended up going away which was thank goodness but like it was things like that that I just had like no not, no idea, but I just, I just sort of didn't take that in, or I didn't know, didn't think it would happen to me. I don't know what I thought, but um, yeah, I found that quite rough. And um, I remember as well the next morning in the hospital, like getting out of, getting out of the bed, like for the first few days, like I had no urge to pee, like everything was still quite numb down there. 
So I remember like getting out of bed and just like peeing myself and crying and being like, oh my gosh, my body's ruined. Like nothing will be the same. Um, But it's honestly amazed me how quick the body does heal. Like female bodies are just incredible. Um, (laughs) Everything they go through. Um, But yeah, that was, I think that was the hardest bit about sort of being home and the, postpartum recovery for me yeah. was this just the shock of the of the um physical recovery and then yeah. sort of giving myself the time to um mm-hmm. to heal from that and so I was really really conscious about the first few days I literally just stayed either in bed or on bed on the bed mm. um didn't really didn't go for a walk until Bodhi was like maybe th- three weeks old and even then, it was just a really gentle, short walk. Um, and, yeah, really have taken, he's nine weeks old now and still not really be, going back into full-on exercise, just, yeah. just walks. And um, at six weeks, I um, made an appointment to see a pelvic um, floor physio, oh, nice. which has been amazing. Um, she's just given me some exercises to do just to help with the recovery and stuff. Yeah. Um, which yeah, if if people have the um the means and the opportunity to go and see um see someone like that, they they're honestly amazing. That's been one of the best things that I've done. Yeah, and did you um, just find her like online or? Yeah, I did actually. Yeah. Um, yeah, I just found her online, and um, I remember my the six week mark was quite close to Christmas, so I booked to see someone down here. Um, in Christchurch sort of on that six week mark Um, yeah and she's she's just been great Um, I saw her sort of once a week for a few weeks and then now sort of seeing her every three four weeks for a while yeah Um, but yeah that's that's been awesome um, to help with the help with the healing healing process in that regard Um, and yeah other than that the um, like I said like the being a mum and having Bodhi there and having this new baby for me, just that side of it just flowed really naturally, which yeah. was, which was so nice. Um, I w- definitely had all that first mum thing, like Googling things. I remember <laughs> I Googled one day, is my baby sleeping too much? Yeah. And, and Sam was like, oh my God, like <laughs> you're ridiculous, put yeah. your phone away. Yeah. Um, so I definitely had all my moments like that, but we had, again, we just were so lucky to have such a supportive midwife and, yeah. She'd come round and she talked through my birth with me, which was really amazing and healing because quite a few things happened um, mm. in my birth. At, once we got to the hospital, that I that some of it I sort of remembered, but some of it I didn't remember at all. Yeah. Um. So, um, just sort of issues around informed consent and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, I remember the first thing that happened was she was putting a um putting the catheter in once I had the epidural and um or it might have just been before the epidural um and the doctors knocked on the door and they were like oh it's just the team and she said oh can you please just can you wait I'm just in the middle of a procedure and they pulled open the curtains and all came in mm-hmm. we're like oh are you doing an epidural and she was like no I'm doing a catheter which you know you've got your legs in the air mm-hmm. it's a pretty sensitive <laughs> procedure and they sort of just barged in that was sort of the first thing that happened and then um, when I signed the consents, um, there was a question that was like, um, you know, we're a teaching hospital. 
um, are you okay with students and trainee doctors and stuff being in the room? Um, and I'd worked in hospitals previously and um, I could, I remember seeing how quickly that room can fill up with people mm. and the thought of that just made me so anxious and I said, no, I just want the people who need to be in the room to be in the room. Yeah. So they'd sort of marked that as no. Um, and then apparently what had happened, and I don't even remember this, because um, I think this might have been at the point where the epidural had worn off on one side mm-hmm. of my body, so I was still going through quite intense contractions. A training doctor um, came and asked my midwife had a trainee with her, the training midwife, to ask me if she could be in the room. Mm. Um and so the training midwife came and asked me, and like I said, I don't even remember mm. being asked that. And um, apparently, I was quite confused, but was sort of like, "Yeah, I guess so." I, like I wasn't quite sure what yeah. I was, what was being asked of yeah. me. Um, and so this training doctor was in the room um, during the birth, and the senior doctor who was um, doing the forceps delivery asked for an apes- asked for the episiotomy. So my midwife turned around to get the instruments to do the episiotomy. And when she turned back around, this training doctor was doing the episiotomy. Oh. And so she was, um, our midwife was livid. Yeah. Um, as she sort of had every right to be. Um, are you waking up, Bodie? <laughs> um, and, and then, um, the one bit I do remember is when the senior doctor was stitching me up and I looked down and saw her and recognised her because she'd kind of been in, coming in and out from the beginning. Yeah. And then I had Bodie in my arms and then I remember looking back down and this training doctor was stitching me up. Yeah. And I remember thinking, like, who are you? who are you when did you come in here um but obviously I had him in my arms I was exhausted I kind of didn't really think anything of it until our midwife came for a home appointment and um and I sort of asked her and Mm. she's and then she sort of told me these other things that had happened in the uh, during the birth yeah um so I kind of sat with that for a while um because I don't know you you feel kind of guilty because you know you've got this happy healthy baby in your arms which at the end of the day is the most important thing but you're still like I still felt a bit upset by what like that 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 had happened the way it had yeah um so I talked through it with my midwife quite a lot and in the end I ended up writing writing a letter and just um I guess complaining, just yeah. bringing it to their attention yeah. that that had happened. And I ended up signing two consents because I signed one consent form when we got into the hospital. And then I signed another one when we thought we were going to theatre. Mm-hmm. And both times I had said, no, I don't want mm. training doctors in, in the room or training nurses or, you know, I just want the people who need to be there to be there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, like writing a letter is not going to change the change the whole hospital system or anything like that but at the end of the day that was healing for me and if it just brings um brings their attention to it and makes them think about the way that they that they did it then then at least that's something yeah for sure um and it's what's something that ends up happening so often my midwife sent me an article about it not too long ago actually yeah and it happens so much more than than we're aware of and it's it happens particularly often to women giving birth mm. um, who are already in such a vulnerable state yeah. 
Um, so, so yeah, it was definitely, um, that was definitely something that took some processing and some healing, but I think writing, writing the letter and, um, and just talking through it a lot with my, with my midwife and, um, my friend who, um, I mentioned earlier, who's the medical herbalist, she's also trained to be a doula as well. So I talked through it a lot with her as well. Um, and yeah, definitely have sort of moved on, moved on from it now, but, um, yeah, it was, that was definitely a bit of an icky thing to sort of to to process in the postpartum, postpartum time. Yeah. Yeah. No, it sounds like you've, um, taken all of the right steps and you've also had a super supportive midwife, which I just think makes such a difference. Oh, it to does, your, yeah. Um, it really does. I don't yeah. I think our whole experience would have been so different without yeah. her. We, we were so we were so sad to leave her, um, yeah. especially because we are moving to Christchurch and she's still based in the Wellington area. So it was sort of teary but we still send we still email each other regularly and she still gets pictures of Bodie and oh, nice. stuff so it's really nice to sort of keep in touch with her but yeah. she, she was amazing and and like that's so one thing I would stress to people like if you have a midwife that you don't feel things don't feel right with or you don't feel you click with see if you can find a different mm. one because they they really can make such a difference to your whole whole journey yeah yeah for sure Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Danica, for coming on the podcast and sharing your story. I've really loved um, listening to all the different aspects and I think that you sound like you're just doing such an amazing job. So yeah, I'm super grateful that you were willing to share your story with me. Oh, thanks so much, Jordan. And thanks so much for having me. It's been um, like I sort of said, I listened to your podcast <laughs> so much when I was pregnant and it's really helped me. So I feel um, very lucky that I've been able to share my story too. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of Kiwi Birth Tales. I hope you have enjoyed it. I would love for you to leave me a review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. Otherwise, I'd love to hear what you thought of this week's episode. If you want to send me an email, you can do that at kiwibirthtales at gmail.com or find me on Instagram or Facebook at kiwibirthtales. Talk to you next week.